Coming up next. Don't go into to, to media to be famous or to make a lot of money um, because you, you probably, you'll miss the enjoyment of the ride and you might never get either one of those two. The Job Talk podcast shares stories from people who are passionate and love what they do in their careers. Through conversation, we explore their careers, past work experiences, and the education that got them to where they are now. We are putting together a Career Crisis Ultimate interview series. We are asking experts to give their best advice and guidance around work anxiety, career pressures, career goal setting, and ultimately career transformation. To learn more about this special interview series and get notified when it's available, please visit our webpage at thejobtalk.com help. Today's guest is Jason Greger. Here's our job talk with a radio broadcaster. Jason, how long did it take you to become 100% comfortable with no nerves broadcasting on air, do you think? Ooh, wow. <laughs> been doing it for 20 years, man. I got to... I don't know if my memory is good enough. Um, before I got into radio, I had a stretch of, of a few years where I was like the MC for six of my buddies' weddings, and uh, including my sisters. And, and that was before I was ever in media. So I was never, you know, I, I never was kind of shy as far as uh, public speaking goes. But you know, even now when I MC an event, there's always a little bit of nerves. But to me, if you're not nervous, then that's not good. I like to be nervous, and then it starts, and then I'm fine. So. Um, you know, looking back, it's, it's hard to remember how I felt when I did my first show, but I think it helped because I was on air kind of as a producer co-host for a bit with John Short first. And so when I was ready, I wanted to host my own show. So um, I, I don't think I was really that nervous. Maybe I was too naive to be nervous. So maybe that's a good thing. Um, you know, like I, I still have my tape of my first show and it's it's definitely rough compared to, to how it is now. But I, I don't recall if I was necessarily that nervous, to be honest. I was going to ask if there's a difference between the nerves being in front of a live audience at an event or just sitting in your studio broadcasting. Sometimes I find it harder, you know, if you're in the studio, like, you know, you're talking into a mic and there's no one you're looking at, right? So yeah. you're just like, is, is this thing on? Is anyone listening? And, and obviously there's, there's people listening. But a live audience, I like to see the reaction of people. I think I consider myself a, a, a people person, so I like engagement. Uh, I like uh, eye contact. I, I think that's you know, it, it, live events like that, you you can really draw in people more when they see your facial expressions and you see theirs and, and how they react. And now, obviously, what I do in live events for for MC and you know a lot of charity events, the you know the emotion is very different than talking sports. So, um, but I, to me, I don't I don't find it, it much different at, at all, really. Um, you know, it's, I'm so used to just talking into the mic and, you know, obviously when I have a co-host, but, you know, now that I do my show from home, um, you know, a lot of times I'm just sitting here by myself and it's like, hey, what's happening? Well, that's what's fascinating to me. The skill set of being able to talk to yourself for long stretches. Do you find that you're talking to yourself out loud around your house during your day to day? Uh, yeah, my wife bugs me all the time. I'll have conversations <laughs> with myself, but I've always kind of done that. Um, it's... It's one of those things like I'm like an, an opening monologue and, and that's and that's me. I, you know, everybody's different. I, I feel if, if you're going to be a talk host, you got to be able to do a 15 minute monologue and you should be able to do one every day. No problem. I just feel like, you know, people are tuning in to hear your opinion on stuff. And then obviously you have guests and, and everybody else and co-hosts. But I think part of the part of the gig should be you should be able to do a 15 minute monologue and just flow from one topic to the next. 
was this a natural progression that you ended up being a radio personality? What what kind of a student were you in high school? Were you outgoing or were you shy? Yeah, I was pretty outgoing. Um, I was the class historian for, well, I went to J.H. Picard High School. Uh, yeah. We ended up, our, our school split in grade 11. The francophones went to uh, Maurice Lavallee. And so we had like 38 kids in our class and I got along with everybody. Um, I was always a pretty social person. Um, I, uh, you know, I had, I've always had a close group of buddies, but I, I've, I found I get along with most people for the most part. Um, so yeah, I was always outgoing. Um, so, but it was, it was far from a natural progression, you know, like I, uh, I graduated high school and, you know, I was playing junior hockey, B like junior B hockey, let's be honest here. I don't ever, I don't ever try to glorify my sporting career, but, um, you know, it was just for fun, having loads of fun, but I worked in the oil field. Um, until I was 20, 26, almost 27. And then I went back to school, which uh, just, I wasn't, and I made good money in the oil field, but I was not emotionally or physically, just I wasn't mentally challenged at all. It wasn't what I wanted to do. And luckily I, I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. And so I could go back to school and not make any money for a few years and, and be okay because, uh, you know, I'd save some money up a little bit. And um, I was, I, I I found that I was always someone who I'm not a real materialistic person. I was able to, I look back now on, on what I used to make when I first started. And I was like, man, I thought I was living a really good life. And <laughs> yeah, I was making like 26,000 bucks a year. So, yeah. um, you know, and that was fine for me, but so no, it was far from a natural progression. I had to go back. I had to like, as far as what kind of student I was, I wasn't really, I wasn't committed enough in high school when I look back. Um, yeah. I had to upgrade a few of my classes to get into to my program. And I really only needed to upgrade English. Um, I had a, a 70 and they really wanted an 80. So, um, but it was at 11 o'clock in the morning. And so I was like, well, I don't want to waste the morning on one class. So I ended up doing social and math and English three classes. Cause I could do them all in the morning. And just, I was like, Hey, I might as well upgrade all my marks. And still to this day, it bothers me because I got 99% in math because I got one wrong in the final test. It still annoys me to this day because, you know, hundred percent would have been pretty cool. But once I was dedicated to, to school, like I was older, school was much like when I did college prep, which is basically high school at Nate, um, it was easy. You know, I had more life experience, social studies. I understood it, English, math, you know, I was, you had three classes. I had a picture on my wall in, in my home. Of, uh, of me working in the oil field. And that was just my polite reminder of, and you know what? I have the ultimate respect for people in the oil field. I work yeah. there. It's, it's a great job for a lot of people. It just wasn't, wasn't satisfying for me at the end. And I wanted to get out. And you know what? I was, I was really, I was lucky because I had uh, the, the owners of the, of the company, uh, Greg and Charlie at the time, they, they were very supportive of me leaving. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys like, oh, you'll be back. You won't get out. And, and so I went to school and then uh, in the summertime, I, they let me come back and work part time, which was great. So I could make money again to go to school. And then even at Christmas, when I had a, a three week break, I would go work in the shop over Christmas time because, you know, I, I was 28. I needed to make some money. And um, so I always I always remember Charlie and Greg and, you know, for anybody, uh, you know, they I, they were as excited, I, I think, for me that I was getting out. I'm going to try something that I wanted to do. Yeah, a lot of people don't get out. And I have a lot of respect for the people that work in that industry, because it's not yeah. easy, especially with the weather that we have in in northern Alberta. What was your first post secondary experience, I guess? Actually, where did you take your training to become a radio broadcaster? Well, well my first post secondary experience <laughs> wasn't great. Um, I went to Nate for a, for a program it was called Health, Safety and Environment Technology. It was a program, literally, I was working in the oil field at the time. And uh, I saw it on TV and it was a program where they would pay you to go to school. And I was like, wow, 
I got to get in some sort of education. And, you know, this was a time where they were getting into, there's a lot of safety stuff. There was a real push for safety in like the early nineties um, or mid nineties, I guess it was. And so I took this program and then I worked at Sperry Sun in the summertime as a, as a safety guy, like, you know, like menial stuff, like measuring the threads on the tires to make sure that they were thick enough on, you know, and you had like, I don't know how many, 400 vehicles in that, in that fleet and stuff. So, yeah. um, but you know, after, after like three weeks, I was like, geez, I got nothing to do. And I don't think they had anything for me to do really. So a lot of times I just spent playing solitaire in my office. So, um, you know, I actually, uh, true story. I don't know if I, ever, I actually got kicked out of that program um in my uh, in my second year so um it turned out you know what and then i went back to, to 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 the oil i was 24 then i went back and and that's when i started at uh, premium oil field inspection and that was a real good kind of maybe i was 23 but it was a really good stepping off because it was kind of like a wake-up call for me like hey i got to get my uh my ducks in a row here i got to be a little yeah. bit more responsible and um so yeah my first experience in post-secondary wasn't good but then when i went to uh to nate i took the radio and television program and uh I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. Um, I, I was ready to go to school. I kind of knew, like, I, and I was very focused. I knew what I wanted to do. Um, Nate has a has a radio station, NR92, and they want you to be like a disc jockey, right? Like, you're mixing the music. I sucked. Like, I had no interest. I did not want to be a disc jockey. I was, I was going into radio, and I was going to be John Short. I wanted to be in sports talk radio. That was my thing. I was very focused, and I'm not sure that's the best advice, but I knew what I wanted to do, and I didn't really deviate from it. I ended up, uh, you know, doing play-by-play -play for the hockey games and stuff like that, just because that's what I wanted to do. I and I had to do the the radio stuff, but you know, I look back on it, I didn't I didn't put much effort, and I wasn't really good. Like you know, it's a different skill set of of being a a jock as they call it on, on the radio, where you got two minutes and you come in and hey, good afternoon, how are you? And then you know who are what where you go and and then that was that was not for me. And thankfully, I never had to do that. Yeah, I remember an episode on Seinfeld when George was talking to Jerry and he was throwing out the idea of becoming a, uh, a sports play-by-play play -play. Yeah, play -by -play color, color analyst. And uh, Jerry thought he looked at him incredulously. So when you graduated from uh, radio and television at the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology, you're about 27, 28 years old. Do you know of people that transitioned as a uh, an older person into radio. Yeah, well, I, I technically I started working. My father passed away in two thousand. Um, I had just been I just turned twenty eight um, right after he passed away, and then in that in that January um, was my third semester. I actually started working part time for John Short. Um, it was the easiest interview I ever did. He just asked me sports questions, so for me that was pretty simple. And, um, you know, I, I got a great learning curve. Like John was the guy I grew up listening to. For me, he was like a legend. I was like, man, I'm working for him. It's great. And then I ended up doing my practicum for him. And um, he, he gave me rope, like whatever I wanted to try, I could do. Um, is, it, is it an old, a young person's game? Probably. But I will say this. I, I don't necessarily believe it's great for 19-year-olds, yeah. if I'm being honest. Like, yeah. you know, I, I saw so many kids take that program at 18 and 19, and they never go anywhere. Um I, you know, you, you, to, to talk on the radio, you need some life experience, right? You yeah. got to be able to relate to the young people and then, and, and have enough insight that the uh, people in their thirties and forties can be like, Oh, okay. This person isn't completely uh, clueless. Right. And so I, like, to me, I, I would always recommend, you know, wait until you're at least 20 to take the program. Yeah. I, I think you'll have a much better chance of success coming out. That's just me. Maybe, maybe I'm completely wrong, but having seen the people in my class and, 
you know, seeing the success rate of the people that come out, I, I think those who are a few years older, like I was obviously, you know, I was a little bit older for sure at, at 26 or seven when I started, but I didn't feel I was old in life by any stretch of the imagination when I was 28. And the advantage I had when I was 28, when I went into to sports rooms, I wasn't intimidated. I didn't, uh, I didn't like, they're just athletes to me. Um, yeah. You know, my, my father and mother taught me, hey, everybody puts their pants on one leg at a time. And, um, you know, my brother played minor pro, um, you know, one of my good buddies being drafted in the second round. So maybe it, I just, I wasn't really intimidated by them as, as uh, people, they were really good athletes. That doesn't make them a better human than me. And so I actually think that earned me a lot of respect from, from players over the years is because I didn't, I never, I never put them on a pedestal, but I don't do that for anybody. Like, I don't, I don't feel that's, I like, we could have a whole conversation about the unhealthiness of, of how people really in celebrity stuff and, and how they just, Oh, he's a celebrity. Oh, I'll listen to them about my health. What? Yeah. They don't know anything about that. So um, I think at times we're a little bit too, you know, wide eyed and in awe of celebrities. And luckily I didn't have that. And I think that really helped me when I had to go interview people. Yeah. You mentioned John Short and our listeners should do a Google search on John Short because he is absolutely a legend. And I'm so happy to hear that he was a mentor for you and helped you out. So you worked with John for a short period of time, a couple of years, do you think? Uh, no, I, I worked with John uh, when I started right out for, for a few years. And then in um, 2005, I'd been working for John, a very unique situation, something that I didn't even know. Um, so we never really worked for the radio station. John rented the airtime and we were kind of a group and we rented the airtime and then we went out and got our own advertisers. And so I had started doing that. This time, my show was 11 p.m. till 1 a.m. And if you can yeah. sell 11 p.m. till 1 a.m., you can sell anytime. And uh, so I did that for a few years. And but I realized after a while, I was like, man, like the money's going into the pot, but I'm really not, I'm not making enough money here. I'm now I'm now I'm like in my 30s, right? Yeah. And I'm like, I gotta sink or swim here. So I had to make a decision. So I talked to John and then I went and talked to, to Marty Forbes and Carl Stark, who were who were running the, the CFRN station at the time. And I said, Hey guys, you know, I want to separate from John and I'll just I'll buy my airtime. Are you guys okay with that? And they were like, Yeah, sure. So in March of 2005, uh, I started my own company. Uh, just a game productions. Uh, the name of my show was just a game. So we just came up with just a game productions. And I literally, I sat down with it. Like, like I have no business background. I sat down with an Excel spreadsheet. I'm good in math. And I had a few columns and one said, okay, this is how much advertising money I'm going to need because I got to pay the station. I got to pay will my producer. And obviously I got to pay myself. And then this is how much money I'm going to need to get there. And the, the best thing that ever happened to me early in, in my business was I met Paul Hockey who at the time was coaching the uh, the U of A Ringette Club, and he was also a chartered accountant. And so, uh, so Paul, for the first, like we would, he would, uh, he hired me to MC his event a few times. And and that's one thing I always recommend to people, never say no early in your career. Say yes to a lot of things, you'll never know who you meet. And that allowed me to meet Paul. And having a good accountant was like the saving grace. He helped set up, you know, my company properly. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, one of my good buddies, Scott, he had his MBA. So he'd sent me like a, an invoice sheet on, hey, like a, a basically a, an empty one to say, here, this is what you sent to your clients. And I was like, okay. And uh, and away I went. And I just kind of did everything, right? I, uh, like Paul gave me, uh, this is what I want you to do. Like keep track of your gas mileage, keep track of this, keep track of that. Like I was writing down everything for the first years, like, okay, 28 kilometers here. Like it was, it was ridiculous. But you know what, after six months, cause we, we didn't uh, incorporate my company right away. Um, I had a goal of what I wanted to make. And he's like, okay, you don't need to incorporate. And then after six months, he's like, you got to incorporate. And you know, my company, it went, it went way better than I thought. And that was, that was kind of the sticking point. So yeah, I worked with John, 
for about four years total from uh, from 2001 until uh, March 1st of 2005. And now I still saw John around, but by then I was kind of on my own. You're now an entrepreneur when you go into that. You're not just a radio broadcaster. Are you a risk taker? A little bit. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not scared. You know what? I, I was lucky. You don't realize it till you're an adult. Um, the biggest advantage I had was I grew up in a loving household. And you, you don't realize that till when your parents love you. It just gives you confidence that you don't even know that you have. It's like, well, if I fail, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to die. And, uh, you know, like I remember I, I had to borrow $5,000 from my mom to, to start my company. And I was like, hey, mom, I'll pay you back in, in uh, you know, like in six months, whatever. She's like, sure. I paid her back in two months. I was very excited about that. But it was it was just her believing like she didn't question me. She's like, OK. And, and my mom is my mom is one of the most well-read, most educated people I know. And so it was funny, but she never gave put pressure on me to go to school, even though she has her master. She she got her doctorate in her in her sixties. Like she's a she's a very smart woman, and she's written three books now. And so she's you know anytime I think I'm working hard, I see my mom and I'm like, God, I got to work harder because she's working. So um, I, I'm a little bit of a risk. I'm not I'm not afraid. I don't. I think I'm more of a. I always am a glass half full person. I I will look at the potential of what can happen rather than the negative of what possibly could go wrong. And, and that I think is, has, it doesn't mean that you're not, I'm not aware of potential failure, but I'm, I was never really scared of it. I was just like, okay, I can start this company. Like it can't be that hard. And um, it, it's turned out to be, you know, infinitely better than I'd ever could imagine. And it led me into lots of other uh, businesses now, uh, 17 years later. For our listeners that don't live in the Edmonton market or Canada, could you tell us a little bit about your show and the market that you're in. So my show is on uh, TSN 1260. It's a, it's an all sports radio station. Uh, my show is Monday to Friday from two in the afternoon till six in the drive show. It's, it's, you know, luckily a really good slot. And basically I, um, I, I lease the airtime from the station. So I rent it from them. And then uh, I have my company and, and I go out and solicit all my advertisers and they pay my company. And then that allows me to pay myself, my co-host, Jason Strudwick, a former NHLer, Connor, my uh, producer, and then a few uh, regular scheduled guests that I have and stuff, pay all my taxes, you know how it works. Yeah. And so I've, I've had that since 2005. Um, I've been in the drive show slot because I started at 11 till one and then I went nine to midnight. And then in 2008, I moved into the afternoon, so I've been there for 14 years in the, in the drive time slot, and it's it's been a great partnership with uh, with Bell Media. They they don't kick me out. They still uh, we actually just uh, just signed a new uh, three year extension, so so that's nice. And yeah, that's kind of that's that's kind of how it goes. And then um, I, I do a lot of writing at uh, OilersNation.com and DailyFaceOff.com. We we kind of got into the internet, uh, you know, and again just meeting people and. Uh, you know, I met two uh, two guys who who approached me to write back in 2008 for uh, Oilers Nation, the website, back when the internet was, you know, sports sites were starting to grow. And and I was at that point, I was like, well, I don't want to just be an employee for someone. So I said, well, I'll write for you, but can I buy in? Yeah. And they were like, what? I'm like, yeah, I'll buy in. So I bought in at 20 percent and um, learned a lot about the internet. Like the internet's a different beast, man. It's a very different animal. And, and I'm definitely not the tech guy on it at all. So it was yeah. kind of more in charge of content. And, you know, every now and then the three of us had to, geez, we need some advertising money to keep this thing going. So then we go get some advertisers and, you know, built itself up. And luckily we actually sold that company to Playmaker uh, this past November, which was uh, amazing. So wow. um, yeah, that's, that's one of the things I do. Uh, we, we, I'm a, 
I'm a partner and small partner in Noodle Noodle. There's 16 stores in, in the Edmonton area. So I kind of dabble in a few things now for fun. A serial entrepreneur. I love it. How how has social media affected your industry? Has it helped or does it hurt? Do you think it was better when we didn't have social media and you guys were the source for information? Um, no, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say so. I, I think it's, it's like anything. If, if, if you want to find stupidity and false stuff, you'll find it. Right. Yeah. Um, if, if you want, if you want to challenge yourself and, and read and then question what you read, I was always taught from my mom that, you know, you can read something, but read with it. And then it's okay to question and say, well, Hey, why is this? And why is that? So, um, no, I, I think the, you know, the internet, like for me, the re- a big reason why I wanted to write was because in radio at the time, like there wasn't podcasts and they weren't even archiving shows. So if people missed your show, they missed it. Right. And so I found there was a lot of ideas I had that two days later, someone would write about. And I was like, Hey, wait a second. I don't really like that. So, um, I, I think the internet's helped social media. Social media is like anything. Uh, what you put in is what you get out. Um, if you want to follow a lot of caustic negative people, then you're going to get a lot of caustic negativity. If you want to follow people, and I, and, and I also don't think if you only follow people you agree with, well, then that's pretty stupid too, because you always, no one knows everything. Uh, we can always learn stuff. Um, it's hey, Trust me, it's not easy to, uh, to have to be like, oh, geez, I was wrong on that one. None of us like that. But I always, there's some people that I follow purposely because I know they think and view things different than me. And it makes me say, hmm, Okay, I haven't looked at it that way, and so I, that's what I find. But I, I, it helps the industry. Um, you know, like you can promote stuff. You know, hey, coming up on the show today, and, and different things like that for sure. So, but you know, social media, it, to me, you got to kind of take it for what it is. If if you want to follow mindless stuff and that's all you want, awesome. Um, if if you only want sunshine and lollipops and rainbows, well, that's prop. That's not the real world. But I also, I, I try to ignore people that are anonymous because when you're anonymous you can say whatever you want it's gutless uh, it doesn't take a lot of courage so oh like the mute button's a fantastic one that, yeah. that I've uh, learned to use on, on Twitter it took I, I probably wish I would have used it earlier because there's just there's I don't I don't like unnecessary negativity now if you want to question something I wrote and you present it in the right way we can have a healthy debate and I can disagree with people and it doesn't mean you know we don't have to agree if we all agreed life would be boring Right. But you you can disagree with people. And like I stand up for myself. I don't I don't have any like every now and then I'll just ramp. If somebody beaks off at me, I don't back down. I am like, why? I'm like, so someone and and I honestly, I don't I don't go to bed thinking about it either. Like I don't. Why would I worry about what James 2734 thinks? I don't know what he is. I don't know if he's an expert. Like when they try to give me advice on my show, like, oh, you should do this. I'm always like, okay, well, give me your background on like. The best advice I got once from a teacher was don't take criticism from someone that you won't take advice from. Yeah. I think they could alleviate a lot of the poison that's on Twitter if they remove the ability to be anonymous on Twitter. I don't know why they haven't done that. How do you navigate what you hear from people and what you can share with your listeners without crossing the line? I guess that's maybe an ethics question or an integrity question. Because I imagine yeah. you have a lot of people coming at you when you're not on the show with rumors and innuendos. Uh, a few. Um, I, I made a conscious decision when when I first started that I wouldn't report. I wouldn't be like a TMZ. I wasn't going to report on personal stuff of of players off of the ice 
unless it directly impacted what they did on the ice. And so like if some guy was out at the bar at 2 a.m., I'm like, I'm not talking about that because I was out at the bar at 2 a.m. too. Like whatever, that's, you know what? If he plays poorly, I'll talk about, wow, what a poor performance he had, but I won't connect it to him or her being out. That's, and that's my own personal one. Everybody else is going to have dips. So you have to find what your moral compass is and, and try not to, to sway from it too much. And so I, I've never really had a big, like I've had a few people, um, like if somebody tells me something off the record, then to me, it's off the record. And yeah. I, uh, I, now I, like I'm in sports, like it's not like, you know, oh, you know, we're, I'm, you know, we're making life altering decisions for people. Right. I think if, if you were in politics, it would be very different because, you know, that stuff that can directly impact people's income and can, you know, their health and education, like that's real stuff. I get to play in like the sandbox of fun. So, you know what, if if I hear a rumor, hey, so-and-so might get traded, well, they might get traded. Like you hear so many rumors, like I I think people would probably be surprised how often in in sports managers will discuss a certain player and say, hey, maybe we should trade him and the other team has interest and then never happens, right? That, That probably happens way more than people think. But luckily for me, I don't like, I don't claim to be an inside guy. I don't break a ton of stories that like, that's really hard work. You got to be on your phone all the time. That's not my personality. Like you got to be a dog and a bone. You got to be texting agents and GMs all the time. And I'm just, that's, that's not my, that's not my personality. That's not my skill set. So I kind of realized early on where I fit and what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be good at. And I like talking a lot of different sports. That's why I like, I have a radio show. We can talk, not just hockey. I talk basketball and football and I did play by play for lacrosse for 10 years and I did junior football play by play. So I like all sports. So to me, um, that's good. And to be an insider in one sport, you got to really focus on it. And a, I don't know if I have the personality to do it and, uh, and B, I didn't, didn't have the interest to do it. You mentioned you were a sports fan but there's no cheering in the press box. So you almost remove something you're passionate about to become the broadcaster that reports on it. How have you found the transition of not being able to be a fan anymore? I remember vividly the first time in the press box is sitting by John Short and he just looked at me and he goes, Hey, just so you know, there's no cheering in the press box. And I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, no, I'm like, all right. And I was like, well, John said so, I guess not. And yeah, it was for a long time. It kind of, you know, you, you sit there and it, it kind of takes the enjoyment of sports out for sure. Um, I, I'm lucky here the last few years, my nephew plays for the San Jose Sharks. And, and that's really allowed me, when I go to watch, when, when he plays a game that I'm in the building, I don't sit in the press box, I go sit in the crowd. And I was lucky enough to see him score a goal live and I haven't stood up and cheered at a game in a long time. And it was, it was awesome. Um, yeah. I, I truly enjoyed it. It's nice to be a fan for specific things like that. Like family... You know, if anyone's like, oh, you're in the media, I'm like, that's my, it's my family. Like, give me a break. So I don't, I don't think anyone complained, but um, there's times where, where I miss it for sure. Like my son at home, when we watch sports and he gets fired up uh, and he's kind of like, dad, you never really get excited. And I'm like, well, eh. so th- that's, that's probably a little bit of a negative, but I'm um, like, I can cheer. Like I had teams in other sports. If I'm not covering the league directly, like I don't, I don't live in an NFL city. So, you know, if I cheer for an NFL team, it doesn't really impact yeah. my credibility i don't believe so because i'm not covering that league yeah. but you know the nhl and the cfl and stuff like that directly you know now the cebl and stuff like that yeah you know you just you kind of get used to it it's it's there's lots of perks to my job and i i'd say way more perks than negatives and i guess that that would be one where you, you kind of remove the emotion from the game yeah what do you love most about what you're doing 
that every day is different. I'm, I get bored pretty quickly. So, you know, every, every, even though it's the same as far as my shows on at the same time, but the topics are different. There's always different trades or stories and different angles you can do. Uh, I like interviewing people. Um, we have some long form interviews in my show story time where I just kind of find out about their life. I really enjoy that. Um, the, the other thing I've learned that I kind of stumbled into is I have a platform that can really, I try to use it for positively influencing people specifically for philanthropy. I do a lot of, uh, charity work and stuff like that. And, um, that, that really to, to quote a book for my son, that fills my bucket um, yeah. a lot. And, yeah. and I really enjoy that. What advice could you give somebody considering becoming a radio broadcaster? Well, number one, be flexible, um, be open-minded when you start. Like I know I said earlier, like I knew what I wanted to do, which was true, but I, I ended up doing like, I had to do sales. I never knew sales. I was like, what sales? Like I still don't to this day, don't think I'm a good salesman, but I do it because I have to, because that's, I'm the owner of my company and I'm basically the only salesman. So if, if Jason Greger, the salesman isn't doing good, then Jason Greger, the, the host isn't on air. So um, you know, be flexible though, and, and don't say no. And, and you'd be surprised at, at how many different people you'll meet in the industry or just that are out of the industry and sales or stuff that have become really good friends or entrepreneurs and different business people that have opened up different doors and avenues, uh, for me. And so th that would be my big one is, but make sure you're passionate about it. And, um, you know, don't go into, to, to media to be famous or to make a lot of money. Um, because, you, you probably you'll miss the enjoyment of the ride and you might never get either one of those two. Yeah. I don't like to call them failures, but looking over your career, maybe you've made some mistakes that you've learned from, because I think you learn more from the mistakes than you make than from the overwhelming success. Can you think of any mistakes that you made that you, that you really learned from? Um, a lot of them were, I don't know, they were more so just gaining experience, you know, early on is not being as good of an interviewer as I am now. Right. But that just comes from experience. And the only way you get doing that, you need mic time. I don't care who you are. It's the old Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hour rule, right? Like you, you know, I was lucky. I never had to leave Edmonton, but I, I did my show when it first started on a Christian radio station, at 11 PM. It was a Christian station. And then there were sports. Trust me. It wasn't a big market, even though I was in Edmonton. So it was like, I was in a small market, but I got to cover pro teams, which was, which was great. But so, you know what? Um, I never, like I mentioned earlier, I, I lucked out meeting Paul and having a proper accountant. So from a business standpoint, you know, behind the scenes of paying taxes and everything on time, this is the stuff that no one ever talks about, but I'm telling you, that's going to alleviate a lot of your stress, pay your quarterly taxes. It makes a huge difference. Um, you know, I didn't, you know, I probably made some mistakes of not following through in sales early on a little bit. Like I wasn't, you know, if I call someone a few times, yeah, yeah, get back to me. And I, you know, I never really wanted to, like, I wasn't like a hound dog really. Maybe at times I, I could have been a little bit more assertive, but you know, that just, I was doing okay. So I, I didn't like anytime I, we needed sales, whether it's on my show or on the internet, then, you know, I would clamp down and I would pound on as many doors as I had to, but like cold calling sucks, man. I don't care who you are. Like it's, it's not fun in sales, but that's just, that's part of the job. So you got to do it sometimes, but I, I don't know anybody who's like, whoo, cold calling today. Yeah, this is a great day. <laughs> like it's not, it's not a fun thing to do, but it's, it's a necessity of the job. Uh, but I don't, I don't have like any, math like maybe some interactions on on social media early on is probably what i would take back i um i probably got too emotional at times those are definitely ones where you're like yeah probably shouldn't respond in that way
This question might be a little bit out of sequence, but when you're interviewing someone and they're not that talkative, does does that ever happen to you? And you kind of have to carry the interview? Well, in radio, if, if I find that it's not going great, I just might, all right, thanks, man. It was great having you on. It's a five or six minute interview and then boom, we're out. Because there's no, I don't need to have a 12 minute interview, right? It doesn't yeah. need to be 15 minutes. If they're, if it's not working, right? Or, you know, somebody gives you a lot of short answers then you know, you, you move on, right? Like yeah. I, I did early on sometimes try to stretch it out. I'm like, geez, this is painful. So I learned, I'm like, hey man, cut bait. If it's not working, like you, you get some people that, that aren't comfortable and Sometimes maybe the interview isn't interview. Maybe I asked a terrible question. I'm sure it's happened lots. So, yeah. you know, and the person's all of a sudden like, mm, nah, I'm not liking this. So I'll just be like, all right, here we go. It doesn't happen a ton, but there are a few times when, when I have had people where it's just not going well. And, and I've learned to just be like, okay, you know, abandon ship. All right. Thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it. Boom. And then you just move on. You don't say anything. Like I'm not going on record. Jeez, I was terrible. I'll just be like, all right. You know, I don't think there's there's not much juice to squeeze out of that orange anymore. So, you know, I don't need to put I don't need to put the rind in my mouth and try to suck every drop out of it. I'll just move on. <laughs> what what are you most proud of over your career, do you think? Uh, um, I'm probably proud that uh, that my career has lasted this long so far. That I've uh, that I've evolved with the times and being able to change and, and do different things. Um, I haven't I haven't had that many people that are tired of me. There's always some, and you know the best advice I got from Ron Durda was uh, who was my instructor in school, and he said if you have a talk show and everybody likes your talk show, it's not a good show because you've got to say things that are not everybody views things as like look at the political spectrum, right? The sporting spectrum, you know, hopefully doesn't have the extreme sides right now, but uh, you know not everybody's going to agree with you, which is great. And um, if everybody always is, then you're, you're probably not, you're not, you're not having a strong enough opinion is, is what he said. And so, yeah. but I, I think the thing I'm probably maybe most proud of is, is the amount of um, money we've raised in my show to help out various charities over the years. And uh, then I started my own uh, foundation in 2013 and uh, Gregor's grads where we supply uh, suits and shirts and ties and shoes uh, for high school boys who can't afford it for their graduation. And uh, I'm telling you, man, every year when I see those kids in that fitting room and they walk out for the first time, like, poof, it, uh, I'm kind of a crier naturally. And man, there's lots of times where I have to, I have to turn away because it's uh, when you can give somebody a feeling of pride, it's a, it's an immensely powerful thing. Yeah. I encourage our listeners to do a Google search on you and take a look at some of your, your charities that you've started and Jason, I've seen how involved you are in the community, and I've heard behind-the-scenes stories where you're not out there putting your face in front of some of the great things that you do, and I just want to thank you for that. And that includes coming on this very modest podcast. So thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it. Kim, thanks for having me, man. You're a great interviewer. Honestly, that was, uh, <laughs> that was really good. That was easy. Uh, uh, it flowed really well. So I'm, I'm happy, to have and, uh, happy to come on, and thanks for the kind words. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Job Talk podcast. For more information, please visit us at thejobtalk.com. Our podcast music was created by our friend Mike Malone in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada.